This week we talk about an abandoned ball that could be an immovable obstruction, what to do when you hit it in an area that has GUR and penalty area, but you don't know which one it has gone into exactly. And what happens if you put the wrong hole scores down, but you've got the total correct on your scorecard that you've signed and handed into the committee. So grab a cuppa, sit back and relax, and let Blakey and Stuart bring you the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Golf is a test of character before it is a test of skill. And playing by the rules of golf will definitely test your character. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Golf Rules Questions podcast. I'm Blakey, this is episode number 88, and alongside me is Podcast McPhee. How are you going, Podcast? I'm well, thanks Blakey. You know uh, you know this, I thought I'd just tell the, the listeners that you and I had lunch yesterday, and during that lunch, uh, I received an email from a friend of the podcast, someone you and I both know quite well, IB. And it starts with, thanks, Stu, in brackets, or Mr. Podcast, if we go with Blakey's suggested moniker. You are having some influence with this. Yeah, well, I mean, you are famous in the podcast world. So, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so uh, it's, there is really only one nickname for you. Um, so how how you been? Been all right? Uh, very well, thank you. All good. How, and yourself? How was your golf yesterday? Uh, so we played. We you and I had lunch yesterday. Um, so how was golf on Wednesday? Wednesday, I actually walked off after nine holes. Uh, unfortunately, due to significant discomfort somewhere in my body, um, which I didn't want to push through. So that was the end of that. All right, we'll uh, move on from that. Very interesting. The golf rules question of the week or for last week. Uh, can you remember? What yep, it was? I've got it right here. So GRQOTW from episode 87. Blakey and Ross mistakenly hit each other's ball on the first fairway. In other words, they've hit a wrong ball each. And this is only discovered when they arrive near the green and Blakey, of course, is one metre from the hole and Ross is in a greenside bunker. They both walk back down the fairway to estimate where the balls were lying. But fortunately for Blakey, he found the divot that Ross had made in hitting the wrong ball. Using that divot as a reference point, Blakey drops a ball and plays it back to the green. How many penalty strokes must Blakey add to his hole score? One for the, I mean, two for the wrong ball. Right, two for the wrong ball. And then he was supposed to place the ball and he dropped it instead. So that's another two. Uh, and there was the intervening event of the stroke. Still, it's four shots. Yeah, and we didn't say this specifically, but someone could have been clever and said that had you dropped it, but it actually ended up coming to rest exactly in the correct spot, then you wouldn't have copped two strokes. But in this just, case, just we've assumed it would have been one. But in this case, we've assumed that it, had, it hasn't actually gone back to the original spot. Yeah. Well, the likelihood of that happening... Very you could try a hundred times and it probably wouldn't happen. I've got a uh, question, put you on the spot here. So uh, when you need to replace your ball on the spot, we know you need to use the original ball. And one of those exceptions to that is if someone actually hits your ball as a wrong ball, you don't have to actually use the original ball. Can you think of any of the other three exceptions? Uh, weather delay, weather subsen- suspension. Very good. Suspension is one of them. 
where you don't have to are oh, you changing it because of its cattle crack very good blakey one more uh, this is i thought this would be the easiest one the one you haven't got yet right um how about i'm the player i mark my ball i lift it i throw it to you as my caddy and you drop it and it rolls into a penalty area uh yeah that used to be a penalty too but now if it as long as you haven't deliberately done done it to get rid of it um it's substituting a ball under that scenario is okay yeah so if your original ball can't be recovered within reasonable time yeah i've got one for you actually just thinking about this what happens if they couldn't find the divot or there was no divot sure well in this case you just it's a best estimate so if the original spot is not known it's just best estimate even if you found later that that's not actually the correct spot um the players allowed to use reasonable judgment to determine that best estimate yeah that reasonable judgment uh, is a term that would say if you use all the facts and knowledge that you have well one sorry i was just thinking there's also obviously the information from other players who will go yeah i think you're probably right around there because i was watching from here and the tree was behind you it could be what distance did you have on the laser just Fine, that sort of, you know, it was 167 out. Okay, make sure you're 167 from the flag stick. So you're going to be pretty close. So I'm not asking or answering your question directly, but you talk about getting as much information as you can. And then whatever you, whatever you do, don't spend eight minutes trying to work it out. Uh, it was, you know, you had a bit of a tree in your way, but now there's no tree in your way. Well, that's not reasonable, is it? <laughs> oh, no, that's, not... that's not a reasonable judgment. Very interesting. Um, right. So we have, a, we're just going to try and do a quick, we are not sitting beside each other, by the way. We're not sitting. This is uh, some kind of Zoom app that we've downloaded. Immersive View, it's called. Uh, but uh, we have got three Clubland stories, and Stuart's got a couple of Clubland stories himself. We're going to run through them. Uh, we always say uh, this will be the quicker of the episodes, but in the end, we'll probably talk and talk and talk. Uh, but Colin from Why Maddie is back. I like his questions on the par five fifth, on the par five seventeenth at Waimati, on the right about fifty meters down is an area of GUR which is right next to a pond which is marked with red pegs. So we've got GUR and red penalty area right beside each other. The GUR, the ground under repair, is about a hundred meters long, the same length as the pond. Colin is playing with Bill. Bill tees off, and of course, of course. Bill slices into the GUR pond area near the bottom of the GUR. After a search, Colin and Bill can't find the ball. Because it's GUR, Bill wants to take a drop where he thinks it crossed into the GUR, but Colin thinks it would it could have gone into the pond and should take a penalty drop. No, because the GUR goes up to the pond, where would he drop? And then back in line with the pen would either be on a path or in a farmer's paddock, taking a lateral drop would be in the GUR. <laughs> what actions were taken to resolve the situation? Bill took the easy option to free relief from the GUR. Colin was slightly unimpressed, so Colin wants to know the ruling, what the ruling could or should have been. What do you think of that so far? Well, talk about reasonable judgment. Yeah. Because we don't know where the ball is, and we need to be known or virtually certain as to which one it's in. It's obviously either in the ground under repair or the penalty area. 
There's a couple of things. I think I'll just go to the relief. They were talking about taking relief from the penalty area and dropping in the GUR, which is perfectly fine, taking lateral relief, because then you've got a separate procedure. Uh, if you were to take penalty relief into the GUR, then you can elect to take that separate procedure to get out of the abnormal course condition for free. Um, so that's not an issue that the GUR, sorry, the, the relief area for lateral relief would be GUR. That's not an issue. But this just comes back to where do we think it is? Um, we have to be known or virtually certain. It's in one of them. Um, it's a pity they there wasn't a third or a fourth player that probably could have weighed in um, and just said, well, it's clearly here or it couldn't be here or something. But um, it sounds like the player yeah, took the easy option and just took the free relief from the abnormal course condition. Yeah. Uh, now, there is that ruling or clarification about if your ball has this temporary water and penalty area, uh, 17.1A1, ball lost in either penalty area or abnormal course condition adjacent to penalty area. If the player's ball is not found in the area where there is a penalty area and an adjacent abnormal course condition, the player must use reasonable judgment in determining the location of the ball. If after applying reasonable judgment, it is known or virtually certain that the ball has come to rest in one of those areas, but both are equally likely the plan must take penalty relief under Rule 17. But it does clarify that, in fact, you must proceed under penalty area relief. Yeah, so if you're not sure it's in the GUR or you're not sure it's in the penalty area, but you are sure, as you said, 100%. it's in one of those, then you must proceed under Rule 17. So Colin, who was slightly unimpressed... Uh, was right to be unimpressed. <laughs> was right to be unimpressed and was right that he said that uh, Bill should take a penalty drop. And as you said, he can drop laterally into the GUR if that is in within, within his relief area. And then uh, he could take free relief from the GUR uh, if he so desired. As a separate procedure, yeah. Because it doesn't yeah. say here that the GUR was a no-play zone. If it was a no-play zone, you still can drop into the no-play zone. You just can't play from it. And you must. Yep. In it. So you'd yeah. have to. You'd must. It'd be a must to take free relief. Very good. Taken very good question. From yeah. yeah, really good question. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully hopefully next time Bill and Colin are playing that one, they'll, uh, they'll get it right. Very interesting. Right, I've got, uh, I've got one from... DK. So three separate 18 hole stroke events are held over three consecutive days at different golf clubs. There are prizes awarded after each event and overall prizes awarded in con conjunction for the 54 hole aggregate total. So you've got four competitions here effectively. You've got the three 18 hole competitions and then you've got a 54 hole competition. Before teeing off on day three, the runner-up from day two was congratulated by a fellow player for their result and their two eagles. <laughs> the runner-up advised that they didn't have any eagles and on reviewing their online scores, realised they had signed for incorrect scores on some holes. The 18-hole total score was correct, but a number of hole-by-hole -hole scores were not correct. Well... Some scores lower and some scores higher than actually taken. The player promptly reported to the committee and asked for himself to be disqualified. So that's an interesting point because uh, 
just going off on a tangent here slightly, uh, we saw a player who shot 62 in a Monday qualifying event uh, the other day actually uh, play, uh, he pressed down uh, aeration holes on his line of play when putting. So he pressed down damage on the green, but it's not damage that you are allowed to repair. Caused by an animal or a person. Mm. So he's pressed down aeration holes, shot the course red of cord 62. Then someone said, oh, how bad was it putting on those aeration holes? And he went in and he actually disqualified, or he said he disqualified himself. But technically, he, he didn't know he'd incurred a penalty even though that's a pretty simple one. He didn't know he'd incurred a penalty. So really his score could have still stood and they just assess him a penalty for every time he did it. Let's say let's say he did it three times, he'll add six penalty <clears throat> strokes. Let's say he did it on every hole. He adds 18, uh, 36. Um, let's say he did it on he two putted every green, which you wouldn't for a course record 62, but he two putted every green and he did it before every putt. Hmm. Uh, that would be including the sapiens. Mm. So his 70, 62 would turn into 134. Mm. Um, he actually went in to disqualify himself. So back to DK's story, the player promptly reported to the committee and asked for himself to be disqualified. The player was disqualified for the day two event under rule. 20.2e and also this is the result 3.3 players mm. disqualified for the day two event under rule 20.2e and also disqualified for the 54 hole event under rule 3.3b they handed back their prize and said they look forward to hearing about this clubland story on the grq podcast next week we Yay. appreciate you sending it through dk yeah thanks dk uh podcast do you have anything to say about that situation no, unfortunately, the rule's pretty clear-cut, pretty straightforward in this case. There's little room for interpretation. If you record a score for a hole that was less than the one, your actual score, and you sign that scorecard and it's in, uh, the committee has only one option. And uh, we all know what that is. Yeah, in this case, he wasn't disqualified for rounds one and three because they are, as, a, as we said, there's four separate tournaments here. Mm. Uh, but he was disqualified for the second one. And then obviously that also meant that he was disqualified for the 54-hole event. Uh, yeah, un unfortunate sort of situation where you don't like to see it. Make sure that you, when you're you know, handing in your scorecard, even if it's the digital thing, um, that you've, uh, you have a responsibility to get it right. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, in this particular case, we had some, I mean, the actual overall score might have been correct, but we've had the above the actual score and below balance each other out. Um, so the overall gross and net score may have been correct, but if you record a score for a particular hole that was less than what you had. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you might say it happened once, um, but that many times is is uncommon um i've seen i've seen it happen where they added up they forgot to put in the last hole the score for the last hole and then they added up the score and then in, included the last score for the last hole but 
forgot to actually write it in and say it's added to 34. They've put 34 in hole nine. Hmm. And so when they've handed the card in, they've signed for the score of, they thought they were signed for 71, but they signed for uh, 101. or something. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they had to add the 34. So they signed right. So they definitely didn't make the cut. No, but we're not disqualified. Uh, but not disqualified. It was far above what they actually had to put. Now, <laughs> uh, moving on. We've got... Very interesting. Okay, podcast. We've got another one from DK. Player A, this is a good one. We've both uh, had a read over it and can't wait to talk to about this one. Player A playing stroke play pulls her tee shot on the par for 12th hole towards the driving range. The player finds her ball at rest in the general area very close to an old range ball. The player wanted to move the range ball as it interfered with her area of intended swing. However, the range ball was embedded very deep, likely from being driven over by cart traffic or the range ball picker-upper that didn't manage to pick it up. And it was not easy or not able to be easily removed. To paint the picture more clearly, 75% of the ball was embedded below the surface of the ground, which was a dirt surface that had hardened by hot, dry conditions. The only way the player could remove the stray range ball was to use an iron or a divot repair tool to wedge the ball out with some force. The player was worried that doing this would alter the surface of the ground and possibly improve the conditions affecting the stroke. Uh, what actions were taken to resolve the situation? The player played the balls at lies to ensure they avoided any potential penalty. Are there any relief options available to this player in this situation? Would you penalise the player if they improved their cats as a result of moving the range balls? Podcast, what do you reckon? <laughs> um, we come back to the range ball and what we would describe that as, and I think we would describe that range ball as an obstruction. And you and I had a quick chat about this. You asked me this and I said, um, due to the difficulty of moving it, I think you could quite easily categorise that obstruction as immovable, an immovable obstruction. In other words, unable to be moved without reasonable force and effort and potentially damaging the course or the obstruction itself. And therefore, if that player deemed it to be an immovable obstruction and their ball was lying in the general area and it interfered with one of those uh, cats, then they were entitled to free relief, find the nearest point where they no longer had interference from that obstruction and drop and play on with no penalty. Yeah, an interesting one. Having an abandoned ball or a range ball considered to be an immovable obstruction, but I can't see any other way that, you know, it wouldn't be. If with the, rem the movable obstruction... Um, without penalty, a player may remove a movable obstruction anywhere on or off the course and may do so in any way. Uh, yeah, and may do so in any way. And then you look at rule 8.1b2, uh, actions that are allowed in improving your cats, take reasonable actions to remove loose impediments and movable obstructions. Now, reasonable actions which is allowed the removal of loose impediments or movable obstruction which is allowed to the extent provided in rule 15. in rule 15 
just states that you may remove a removable obstruction either on or off the course and may do so in any way. But I think it then comes back down to the definition of movable and immovable. And I think you can make an argument that that's immovable. Because you're taking reason, you know, taking a reasonable amount of effort to try to get rid of it. Imagine if you spend five minutes kneeling over it trying to get rid of it. Get rid of it, and another player says, Oh, they moved a uh, immovable obstruction out of their way to improve one of their cats. Yeah, so under the definitions, an obstruction that can be moved with reasonable effort and without damaging damaging the obstruction or the course. Well, you're not going to damage the ball if you Picking it out with a pitch repairer, but are you damaging the course by making a big hole? I mean, that's that's probably what it comes back to, DK, is were they going to make a big hole and damage the course? And if the answer is yes, then the abandoned ball, range ball, becomes an immovable obstruction. If the answer is it would have taken a little bit of time, you know, half half a minute and they would have just plucked it out, then it would more likely be a movable obstruction. And that's one of the permissions, as you say, under rule 8.1. There's always going to be situations where, you know, a immovable obstruction for Stuart might be a movable obstruction for me just because I'm, you know, a little bit stronger. Definitely. So uh, that could always be the case, especially um, with women and men and not being sexist with men being stronger, but generally that is uh, correct. And so they are more likely to have movable obstructions where uh, someone might have an immovable obstruction and juniors as well. You know, I'm sure that uh, we can, uh, even on my worst day, I could probably move something that an eight-year-old probably couldn't. I would think so. I hope DK took that into the, well, the player took it into the pro shop and see what the staff come up with, with regarding that scenario. Yeah. Well, whatever... Or, or the main thing about this question is the player, because it was a practice range ball or an abandoned ball, the player did have options other than just playing their ball as it lies. They could take relief or scrape this thing Try out move it, if move it was one. easily removable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're all done with uh, club. Good scenario, though. Really good one. This, yeah, that was a really good one. I like that. Very interesting. Uh, now, you, you podcast have your own couple of uh, club oh, bands. No, nah, mine are pretty straightforward. Just a model local rule E3 has just been brought in at our club, um, which is preferred lies and the relief areas are simply a hand span. And all throughout the last my last two rounds, Wednesday and Saturday, in the general area um, of, you know, anything on your ball, I've just obviously taken the opportunity to uh, market and give it a bit of a, a clean. And all uh, Saturday and Wednesday, a, a few times I would mark the original ball, lift it, and then just throw it to the side and then put another one next to it within the relief area. And I had a guy at the end of the round going, I saw you throwing that ball away all the time. How, I didn't think you could do that. Why were you allowed to do that? And I was saying, well, why couldn't I do that? Well, 
it's sort of a mud rule. You know, it's the idea, the preferred lies is in there to clean your ball. So the idea is you mark it, lift it, clean it, and put it back. And I had to explain that, of course, when you take relief under any rule anywhere on the course, you don't have to use the original ball. Uh, and the other one, which was uh, Blue, and he'll be listening to this podcast, blew his mind a little bit, was uh, on Wednesday, I did, did this quite a few times, and I called him over for one particular instance where I was taking preferred lies, relief, in the general area. So my original ball is lying there. And without marking anything, I just grabbed a second ball and put it right next to my original ball, about 10 centimetres away. Um, so there were now two balls sitting right next to each other, and I picked up my original and threw it away. And I just said to him, is that okay? And of course, the whole idea of having two balls sitting right next to each other just threw him a little bit. But of course, perfectly fine. I've just put another ball into play, which means the original ball, wherever it is on the course, is no longer in play. And there's now a wrong ball, even though it was still sitting there on the course. They're my two very basic, simple clubland stories. And then when that player goes and plays under local rule E2 and does it, yeah. And someone laughs at him and goes, you're an idiot. And there's two yeah. shots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or one shot for a one substitute. One shot for cleaning it. Or, or cleaning. Uh, yeah, incorrectly substituting it, sorry. Yes. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're two very simple clubland stories. Well, fantastic. That means we've uh, managed to wrap it up quicker than ever before. Stuart, sorry, slash podcast. What is the GRQ OTW for episode 88, please? Yeah, thank you. I asked you this question the other day. Uh, so here it is at GRQ OTW for episode 88. So this is you and I playing together, but you and I are in a stroke play playoff. Right? So Blake and Stuart are in a stroke play playoff. On the putting green, Stuart gives a wrong score to Blakey by mistake. However, this causes Blakey to lift his ball from the putting green without marking it, as he believes he cannot win the playoff. Stewart then immediately corrects the misunderstanding. Who gets a penalty and what is that penalty? Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. Well, we'll find out in episode 89. Look forward to seeing you there, podcast. Thanks, Blakey. It wouldn't be Speak the GRQ podcast without you. It would just be the GRQ.